Hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and joining me this week is my friend William from across the pond. How you doing, William? Hello. Nice to be back. What an exciting week as well. Very exciting week. Lots to talk about. I did an episode right after the keynote, and so if you wanted to kind of check out the information dump from WWDC and everything they announced in the actual keynote, you can check out that special episode. It's the previous one in the feed. It's our WWDC highlight episode, but there's so much more to talk about because stuff comes out during the week and in sessions and as people kind of poke around in the betas. And so I wanted to talk about all of that stuff that we didn't hear in the keynote. And I did the iOS 14 beta on my iPad and we can talk about that experience later and then downgrading. Oh. But William, what devices are you running on the beta? Sorry, so you said the word downgrading. I think, ah, <laughs> something happened there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I can't believe it took me this long to realize. It took me a day to realize that I do actually have a second iPhone. Well, last year I didn't trade in. I was going to, but the price I was getting wasn't enough and I needed a second camera. So I kept it and I do it. I shoot video on it and it suddenly occurred to me, I don't shoot a lot of video on it. I could try it on iOS 14. So my last year's iPhone 10s Max has iOS 14 on it. And weird thing is, I like the iPhone 10s Max more with it what? on. What? I, I don't know why. I can't account for that. I liked the phone and then I got the iPhone 11 Pro, the smaller one, and I love the iPhone 11 Pro. And I thought, that's it. I'm never going back to the bigger screens. But now, you know, I've been playing with it enjoying it a lot mm. I, yeah, it's, it's pretty good i think well it was for me clearly not for you on the ipad yeah right well we it was it was actually fine it was actually a more stable beta but but we'll talk about that later and you know i was always a plus iphone guy because they had a different camera features than the regular size back in the day sure, yes. and there's rumors even now with the iphone 12 that maybe the max or larger size will have the lidar scanner and the smaller one will not. Mm. And so I might be converting back to the larger screen come fall, if that's the case. But let's talk about some iOS, iPadOS, and watchOS discoveries and things that has come out since WWDC, and maybe some things that you're excited about. For me, one of the things that was on my wish list pre-WWDC was better shortcuts organization. Yes. And this was, yes, yes. and this was not stated in the keynote, but upon downloading iOS 14 on my iPad and many others on Twitter saw it, you can now organize shortcuts into folders and they surface specific shortcuts like for the watch and for the share sheet. So your shortcuts that are actually a part of the share sheet uh, will automatically be placed in categories on their own. And so there's a nice sidebar now in the shortcuts app on iPad and you can organize shortcuts into folders. So got that. And also shortcuts on the Apple Watch will be coming in watchOS 7, where you can have the shortcuts app and you can start shortcuts right from the watch. So so that's very nice. I have a small concern uh, about this. I, 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 the first thing I did when I got the, uh, uh, the beach on was look at shortcuts. Is there a folder thing? And there is, and that's great. But even though I have uh, my 10s Max on the same Apple ID as my iPhone 11 Pro, the shortcuts aren't matching up. And I remember this happening last year where things didn't. And if I altered something on the phone that wasn't that was on that had updated and the iPad that hadn't, they, they got all screwy and, and things were wrong. So I've been kind of avoiding uh, using them to see much until everything's on iOS 14. But I'm excited by the the folders at last. Yes. And that was one of the things I was adjusting 
these shortcuts on my iPad running iOS 14, and I noticed some disparity in as I was organizing and changing them, syncing to my iPhone, and that's one of the reasons that prompted me to downgrade, and talk about that in a moment. But (laughs) some of the other news on widgets, this was one of the big features announced. Yeah. Every Android user says, oh, you finally caught up to 2008 Android. That's fine for you. I think our widgets look better, but that's, you know, uh, to each his own. With the widgets, though, a couple of things that has come out. Number one, you cannot interact with the widgets as far as like tapping on specific parts of the widget or actually using them as controls on the home screen. For instance, if you do a podcasts widget on your home screen, you can tap it and it will launch the podcasts app, but you can't interact as in like skip forward, skip back, or go to a, another episode on the widget. So that's unfortunate. What's been your experience with widgets on your iPhone? Uh, now you said it, it's obvious that that's happened. I hadn't appreciated it because the one I'm, I'm using the smart stack one a lot. And uh, right now on the screen, it's got uh, Apple News. And I, I've been aware that I will tap on which one or either of the two headlines, and that is the story that opens. So I unthinkingly assumed it was, resp- it's not just uh, launching an app, it's going somewhere in particular. But oh, that's that's... Hmm, that's unfortunate because actually right now my other widget up is podcast one and it has uh, the home kit special hmm. on with one minute left to listen to oh. and I can't skip back to re-listen to the oh that's terrible right and so that's, hopefully right downgrading <laughs> forget it it's over <laughs> Hopefully, they will add that functionality in future widgets, maybe even as we progress over the summer. But this might be one of those things, too, where Apple's first-party apps might give you that option, and third parties will have to wait and developers to put that functionality. One of the things I noticed on the iPad, there's still not a dedicated weather app, and I was really wanting to try it because they've seemingly integrated that dark sky information, like hour-by-hour precipitation or even minute-by-minute. And so I was looking forward to see what it looked like. And on the iPad, it is very strange because you can get a weather widget. It looks very nice. It's the new widget style. You can put it on the, the widget view. But when you tap the widget, it actually brings you to weather.com, I believe it is, website to get right. more information. And that is an unfortunate kind of navigation thing. I, on iPhone, I assume the weather widget brings you to the weather app where you can see more information. Do you know if that's the case? I'm just trying it right now. Let's find out. Oops. Well, funny enough, I assumed they hadn't put Dark Sky stuff in it because it looks the same as it always did to me, and I use Dark Sky a lot. Yes, tapping on the widget takes you into the weather app, whose data is provided by the Weather Channel, but that's... Okay. Well, the Dark Sky might be coming in uh, later betas or in the official release, but at least it opens the weather app on iPhone, and so that's... That's a strange oversight on iPad. I hope maybe by chance they'll do a a stock iPad app soon. But in addition to the many widgets not being interactive, it's strange on the iPad, you cannot place widgets within the app icon grid. Widgets are still relegated to that left sidebar on the iPad, unlike the iPhone. On the iPhone, you can place them anywhere. Well, I say anywhere. I think you still have to have them in line. You can't center a widget without other apps around it, unfortunately. And I think you can't even center it at all, right? Apps either have to be on the left or right. You can't have, like, apps on either side. Or uh, full width, yeah. It it can't go in the middle of apps. It's left, right, top, bottom, or full width, yes. Which is all right, I suppose. But, you know, you get a little something, you always want more, don't you? We're so (laughs) grateful. And it's unfortunate because, yes, the Android users will say, 
you know, an Android widgets, you can put anywhere, you can center it, you can put it in between apps, whatever you want. So I'm sure that will come eventually. But one of the nice things about the widgets are those smart stacks. Mm. And they announced the smart stack widget in the keynote, meaning it will kind of automatically surface certain widgets that they think you might want. But what they didn't say and what was discovered later is you can actually edit what apps show up in that smart stack widget. So if you don't want to see news in the smart stack, you can actually edit the widget and turn that off. And even better, you can create custom smart stacks by dragging widgets on top of each other. And then you can scroll through that smart stack on your home screen. And it's like a custom built smart stack. Have you tried that? Yes, very much so. I like smart stacks straight away. And then I found you could edit them. And then I found that that next thing you could create your own with it. And now I know that is the thing I will do most uh, when my, my main iPhone can go iOS 14. The, I'd like to know how long it takes to work out what you might want in the smart stack for the automatic stuff, because I really like the automatic stuff. But once I was able to cut out some of the stuff that I knew I would never want, uh, then it's been increasingly useful. And yeah, I really like that. Yay. Yeah, that does look very good. So aside from widgets, we they announced the app library. And this is a thing where you can turn off the many home screens you might have apps on, and it will automatically organize your apps in this app library and give you an alphabetical listing of your apps. Now, I'm not sure about you, William, but I am a little particular about my home screens. So I only have two on my iPhone. I have my one first home screen with all apps, no folders, and then a second home screen, all folders. And that's it. So I'm not sure if the app library will be as useful to me or if maybe I should turn that off. But how have you been doing with the app library? I'm actually the same as you. I have two screens. I, I don't go as folder mad as you, but uh, I ditch apps quite quickly if I'm not using them. So I, I like having two screens. But uh, I'm one of the people that's had a, a weird recurring bug uh, with iOS 13 in that um, uh, if you try to do a search, you know, swipe down and type in the name of an app, it will give you every recommendation for finding that app online, but it won't actually find the app on your phone. You have to either <laughs> manually find it or ask Siri right. to find it. And uh, I, I looked into this last year and it, Apple doesn't acknowledge it. There's no fix for it. So I found actually, yes, uh, uh, the app library was surprisingly useful for me. Except one of the weirdest things I thought when I first installed the beta, um, the app library was, was rubbish. It had the suggestions box and nothing else. It didn't seem to be acknowledging any other apps. And then a few hours later, suddenly it had caught up and was listing them. Hmm. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm honestly amazed to say how useful the uh, alphabetical list is. You type in the search at the top of that page and there are all the apps alphabetically. And I found I've used that a surprising amount, even with organized setup. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to use that. Dieter Bone from The Verge actually had a video on the iOS 14 changes, and he had an interesting suggestion where if you have apps that you use specifically for work, and this is actually something that I do. I have my Gmail app that I use for my personal and side gig kind of stuff, and then I use the main stock email app for my work work. And having a home screen that you turn on and off... <gasps> depending on whether you are working that day or it's the weekend. And so all the apps that you would use for your work, you have on a home screen that you can then turn that home screen off on the weekends. And then you don't even see those apps unless they get surfaced in the app library for whatever reason. But I thought that was an interesting suggestion. I might. That's very clever. Uh, except um, who stops working at the weekend? Don't you just go straight through? Well, 
<laughs> uh, unfortunately, many times, yes. But but we, it's a good idea. It's clever. I like it. Yeah. Some other little features that have come across, there's some photo privacy controls where if an app wants to share a photo, let's say you want to tweet a photo or have Instagram share a photo, the iOS 14 will actually surface this dialogue and it'll say, do you want this app to access certain photos or your entire photo library? Historically, it's just been, do you want this app to access your photos or not? And then the app can see all your photos. Now you get a little more granular control and you could say, no, only the photos that I pick. And then it's a little janky. I don't know how your experience has been, but if you say just choose specific photos, you kind of have the iOS dialogue come up, you select certain photos, and then you go back to the dialogue from the app and select the photos from the photos you just selected that you want to share. Yeah. So it's nice privacy control for sure, but it definitely adds another step. It's also a bit limited uh, because uh, I found, I was trying it on Twitter and it was really good. I could let's say, right, I, I only post from these, I picked them at random, five recent photographs, but then that was it. Anytime I tried to post any picture to Twitter, it would only, it was as if I only had those five photos ever. <laughs> you have to go all the way out into settings and privacy and redo. So it's really quite a long step. Uh, whereas if you could nominate uh, an album, for example, and then just move stuff into an album, that would be better. I mean, I love the idea. I just think uh, it, it is too fiddly to be that useful. So we'll see. Those who just want to have a specific photo one time might be useful. We'll see. Um, I do like the privacy mic or camera indicator. This was announced in the keynote, uh, but I actually got to see it in action on iOS 14 on my iPad. And when I opened the app Ferrite, which is where I edit my podcast, that app also gives you the ability to record in it. And whenever that app was open and in the mic was listening, there was a little orange dot in the status bar of my iPad. And much like the green dot on a Mac, if the camera is on, that little orange dot is on if the camera or microphone is on. So that was very interesting. I don't know if you've seen that elsewhere. I haven't used it. I like the sound of it, though. That sounds... I mean, yeah, normally I know what I'm doing. That's why it's on. Right. But, oh, you don't go around accidentally leaving your microphone on as you walk into <laughs> no, no. important business meetings. No, but. but but it's curious, you know, with apps like Facebook that has oh, notoriously, yeah. you know, either had the microphone on or the camera on as people were just scrolling their news feed, that will be very interesting uh, for people yeah. to see if that happens again. Uh, that'll definitely be in the news. And so hopefully this encourages developers like Facebook to kind of lock down their privacy stuff and not use that microphone or camera when it's not needed. Now, one thing that I was able to try on my iPad is the scribble feature. Uh, this is in the keynote, it was announced where you can write with the Apple Pencil on the iPad and it can either transform it to type text if you're scribbling in a text box like in Safari. And you can also tap a written phone number or address and it will act as though it was a typed phone number or address and either make the call or send you to maps for directions. And I have to say the scribble feature is incredible. I do not have good handwriting, especially on an iPad with an Apple Pencil. I could not get it to mess up. Even if I scribbled very quickly, it would make my handwriting into typed text uh, immediately and I had not gotten an error yet. So kudos to Apple. That scribble feature is really nice. That's really impressive. I, I have atrocious handwriting and no excuse like on Apple, uh, I, I, Apple Pencil. I have just have bad handwriting. So, okay. That, oh, no, I want to put it on my iPad. Don't do this to me. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is. It is very interesting. Now, I don't typically handwrite a lot. Uh, you know, some people prefer handwriting notes 
you know, if they're in meetings or at a conference. Mm. I just don't typically prefer that. I'd rather type anyway. But for those that prefer writing with their hands, uh, taking notes, this will be a huge feature to use. And you can make text selectable and then you can drag it around and you can treat it like it was type text. So really cool feature. And just a couple of the quick notes on the watch OS. Uh, I didn't install the beta on my watch, but the shortcuts app is on the new watch OS seven, the ability to share faces. And one of the cool features too, is when you're adding complications to a watch face, the Apple watch will now give you a preview of what that complication looks like. And you'll be able to choose it, you know, kind of with a, a better idea of what it's going to look like before you place it on the face. And developers can have multiple complications per app. And this has been something where some developers have gotten around this, uh, like underscore David Smith is a developer. He's made lots of watch apps. He's kind of tricked the system in making certain complications appear at certain times on the back end. But now developers can have legitimate multiple complications per app. And uh, that's a great feature. I do have an Apple Watch. I don't dare put the beta on it, so just I don't have a spare. But that thing with, um, uh, it's funny, once you hear something, you realize you really wanted it. Uh, that app, um, Watchsmith, I've got that changes uh, its complication depending on the time. I mean, it's right. not massively reliable, but it's reliable enough that you want it more. So the ability to have uh, one complication change throughout the day incredibly so I mean I'm in the UK so I, there are lots of times when I need to know US times but it tends to be during my working day so I have Watchsmith show me New York time uh, in those hours and then swap to something else um, afterwards and that's how I know I've finished working <laughs> actually when when the watch isn't showing me New York time I know I can relax uh, yes. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good yeah so yes, Watchmiths was the app I was thinking of too, but ah, that's the, yeah, yes. it's great. And he's been active on Twitter saying that he's going to be very busy this summer with all the new features yes. and developing. So yeah, kudos to, uh, to David Smith. This episode is brought to you by Amazing Configurator. Amazing is an incredible iPhone and iPad device manager, which gives you unparalleled control over iOS and iPadOS data. The iMazing team has developed an incredible solution to help individuals and businesses with mobile device management. They recently launched the iMazing Configurator app, which is a set of tools for your Mac that simplifies local supervision, configuration, and provisioning of iOS devices. I have a lot of personal experience with mobile device managers, and I've deployed 50-plus iPads and Macs to Teams, and I have to say... That after using the iMazing Configurator, I encourage anyone looking to use iPhones and iPads for their business to check it out. Maybe you want an iPad at the entrance of your business locked to a single app at startup. Or you want to quickly install and configure a company app across multiple employee devices. iMazing can do all of that. And it's incredibly user-friendly. I'm even configuring devices for my kids using iMazing as it gives you much greater control and access than the built-in screen time settings provide. With iMazing Configurator, you design blueprints in a clean and readable editor before applying them to bulks of iPhones and iPads. Because iMazing runs locally, it can perform backups and restores, push custom apps, contacts, media, and files, run battery diagnostics, and more with up to 20 devices simultaneously. And it works with devices connected via USB and over Wi-Fi. The iMazing configurator is also MDM-aware and fully compatible with devices which are already enrolled and supervised via DEP. 
So I encourage you, check out iMazing Configurator. It's an app for your Mac, and you can request a free trial now at iMazing.com slash configurator. Check out the link in show notes to try the iMazing Configurator. Our thanks to iMazing for sponsoring this episode. So moving to macOS, a couple features uh, that were uncovered. First of all, I don't know if you saw the the battery icon design in system preferences. No. I gotta say actually I do find it funny that this year there are so many design things in, in macOS that are really nice. But the actual WWDC imagery, yeah, the back of the MacBook Pro and the stickers on it, I think is easily the worst designed <laughs> WWDC poster ever. I just find it so poor, you know. So this design is is divisive maybe or polarizing to say the least but i just sent you a screenshot of the battery icon design in the new <laughs> system purpose <laughs> yeah exactly so that that's there's been an outcry on twitter about that battery icon that hopefully they change that it's a hot water bottle that's what it, it is it's a hot it's, water bottle okay. it's the 3d bottle you know I, f- I find it so interesting if you have been around ios and mac os long enough old iPhone OS was all about skeuomorphism, mm-hmm. meaning making the UI look like real life objects. If you remember the Game Center app originally was, I think, a felt, it was like a green felt as though it were a pool table. And the original podcast app literally looked like a reel to reel tape uh, playing your podcast. So it was yes. the epitome of skeuomorphism. And then with iOS 7 and OS 10 Yosemite, that design went all flat. And you remember Johnny Ive talking about that. And, and again, that pendulum swung so far yes. that sometimes the little, the share square button icon was so thin, such a thin line, you could barely see it. Yes. And so went the complete opposite direction. And so now I feel like with this current macOS Big Sur and the icon designs and some of the interface, aside from this atrocious battery icon that I'll put as the chapter art in your podcast player so you can enjoy what that looks like. Uh, it looks like it's swinging back a little bit to that kind of 3D, maybe embossed or whatever you want to call it, look on the icons. What do you think about that? I'm thrown by that icon. I liked everything else. Well, I'm, I'm hearing people have used the Mac meter that they don't like the icons in the dock so much. And I don't know whether it's an aesthetic appreciation or just that they're sufficiently different it's hard to get used to. Even now, I find there are certain uh, dock apps that look too similar. Uh, Slack and Photos, uh, I keep clicking the wrong one, for example. So something new, get used to it, I'm sure it'll be fine. But yeah. uh, you've now worried me, frankly. So <laughs> thanks. Well, okay. and some people are saying there's just an overwhelming amount of transparency, like on window the uh, window frames and some of the toolbars. And there's also been some inconsistency on the height of window toolbars and such. So again, this is early beta, so we don't want to judge this as a release, Uh, but hopefully Apple will clean up some of the design. I think it looks really good overall. I like the cleanliness of the macOS design. Most of the new icons are fine. Some of them look a little too 3D in my opinion, but Mm. but overall it's a nice clean design. So we'll see. Uh, I do like the control center in macOS. That looks like it will be a nice feature. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm having that. Yeah, absolutely. And and hopefully it will uh, limit the amount of icons I need to have in my menu bar uh, because that will be there in the control center. So that's nice. Two imp- interesting things that came up, and this is more in relation to the Apple Silicon transition. And so in case if you missed that, probably biggest announcement that Apple had at WWDC was that the Mac is moving to Apple-made silicon for their chips. And the Apple Developer Testing Kit 
is available to be applied for. I believe Apple Insider has one coming and we'll be covering that specifically. But it's basically a Mac Mini with an A12Z processor, the same processor you would find in a current iPad Pro 2020 model. And the entire Mac architecture is moving to that Apple Silicon. Uh, Now, one thing, and this was actually in an interview that John Gruber, he interviewed Craig Federighi and Jaws. I forget. I don't know how to say his name. Jaws? Yeah, I was kind of, I was hoping you were going to cover that one because uh, (laughs) uh, I call him Greg. Greg, my mate Greg. He's never heard of me. Okay, very good. (laughs) We'll call him Jaws. But yeah, uh, Craig Federighi and Jaws, John Gruber did a big interview. He usually gets a... Really nice talk show at WWDC with these guys on stage. He's had Phil Schiller. I'm hoping for the day that he actually gets Tim Cook on stage. That would be incredible. But he had these two on an interview. There'll be a link in show notes to that. uh, It was like a Zoom type call. But they were stating about the Mac and the Apple made Silicon that the A12Z is not going to appear in a release Mac. Any Mac that comes later this year or early 2021 is going to have a different Apple Silicon chip. The current A12Z is just for developer purposes, testing their apps and building for it. So I thought that was interesting. There was also some information about startup key commands. So if you're a longtime Mac user or power user, you probably know that there are lots of key commands that you can do at startup to kind of enact different startup features, like uh, holding the D key can do a diagnostic uh, doing uh, the option key will give you the option to boot to different drives. There's the reset, the NVRAM or PRAM on older Macs. And so all those startup key commands are actually going away with the Apple Silicon-based Macs. And the alternative is actually going to be you just hold the power button through the startup sequence and you'll be presented with a graphical set of startup options, presumably like diagnostics, booting to another drive, or restarting those different kind of RAMs. So we'll see. But I thought that was very interesting. The startup key commands are going away. I feel like it's the end of an era. Oh God, the days when I when I was young and I used to zap the pram, you know, <laughs> that's, they're gone. They're gone. Take it away from us. Okay. Yeah, so I'm curious. You know, I always felt like the key commands were like a hardware way to kind of kickstart the Mac if it was having issues. Mm. So I'm curious if this new graphical representation of a startup menu. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see if it has the same kind of power over the uh, the OS that yeah. the startup key commands have. I imagine so, but I don't know. I have to admit, I, as much as I've used them over the years, I can never remember which does what. So I, I always have to look up which one oh, yeah. uh, I need for the case. So this will save me doing that. Yeah, oh yeah. There, and there were definitely a lot of them. I mean, you had internet recovery. Yes. I think there was even a key command to kind of wipe the disk and reinstall the OS. Uh, I forget what that was. Uh, you don't want to do that by accident. <laughs> yeah, so I'd be curious uh, with this change. And finally, when it comes to the Apple Silicon Macs, there was a question about running Windows on the Macs. Yeah. And I believe Apple has said that the boot camp style, you know, installing the OS natively uh, is not going to be an option anymore. And it will allow for virtualization, obviously, but no more boot camp. That's certain. Yeah. Uh, in Actually, in the talk show, John Grimsman, uh, Craig Federici explicitly said that there will be no booting into it. Uh, he called it an alternative. I think he means an alternative operating system. But then he hinted 
that you wouldn't care because virtualization is so quick and powerful. And I, I, if you want Windows, I think you're going to care whether or not it supports <laughs> it. It's not that it, it's great for virtualizing something else. So the suggestion, the heavy suggestion was, don't worry about it. Um, right. But, you know, I can't remember the last... I, I have put Windows on the Mac, and it frankly, it just looks so wrong. <laughs> I got rid of it. It does. It Needed it for one job, and that was it. Over. Yeah. <laughs> You know, there's. I actually have one piece of software that I need Windows for. For a long time, I did boot camp because I felt like, oh, yeah, it's native. That's what I want. And to restart your whole computer and then to just have Windows, honestly, it's a pain. And so in recent years, I've used Parallels. And when I have to use that one app, I just start up Windows, do the one thing I need to do, and then just close it. And so I'm probably not going to miss it as much as, you know, those who are, might be gamers. Oh yeah. And, you know, if you did video games and, and you really wanted that native windows experience, uh, it's going to be unfortunate uh, for you uh, for sure. I don't know if virtualization is that good where it'll give you the same kind of performance. So some other minor changes in HomePod, AirPods, and tvOS. We did see that the HomePod will support third-party music services. So be able to play Spotify from your HomePod directly. And there's also some updates to the AirPod Obviously, spatial awareness is coming to the AirPods Pro, but there was also a firmware update for the AirPods, and I just wanted to kind of state a beef with the AirPods specifically. I really want a way to manually push an update to the AirPods. I'm one of those guys, while I might not be crazy about running betas everywhere, I like to be on the latest OS or firmware, and there's no way to do it. Uh, I've plugged my AirPods into power, let them charge, connected, it, stared at it for a long time, tried to use the force. It did not work. I don't know what kind of magic you need to get the AirPods to update the firmware, but you can't do it manually. And so I wish I wish there was a way to do it. I, normally, I like not having to do things. I like it just working and all that. Uh, but in this case, wasn't there a case where there was one airpod update that was actually problematic I, I might be making that up something you wouldn't have wanted it to automatically do um so yeah in that case it would be nice to choose i agree with you there um also on the tvos we talked about the HomeKit secure video uh, will actually be on the tv so if someone rings your doorbell and facial recognition happens facial recognition or not you'll be able to see that video on your tv if someone rang your HomeKit secure video doorbell, and also the picture-in-picture -picture on TV, which we mentioned. But one of the nice things is they'll actually, in the control center for the TV, which I'm not sure how exactly you get there sometimes. I think it's a menu button or home bus button press. But there'll actually be a home icon in that control center where you can view your cameras on your TV manually. Now, you don't have to just wait for someone to ring the doorbell or get a notification. You can just check out the cameras there on the TV, which is great because there's no way to do that now. Although, if somebody comes to my house and rings a doorbell in the middle of a Star Trek Picard, there is mm. going to be trouble. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the dramatic moment, and yeah, there's right. Amazon with a parcel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm curious too. I wonder if it will pause what you're watching or if it's just going to keep rolling on through. So, yeah, we'll have to see when that um, made available. And also with the last thing with tvOS, multi-user support is going to get an upgrade and it'll be able to have save state for games. And, you know, if you have, I have kids that, again, play that sneaky Sasquatch game that I talked about. And uh, this will hopefully give them the option to each have their own save state and the multiple profiles and all that. So looking forward to that feature in the TV. So tell me, William, is there something that you were really wanting at WWDC this year that you didn't get? Or maybe something that you really wanted and you did get? There's something I didn't get. 
What's that? Something I need. <laughs> Something enormous. Actually, I don't think it could be a smaller thing, but I did want it and I haven't got it. And it's this. I would like shortcuts to be able to control uh, the auto lock time on the iPhone. You can get shortcuts to change the brightness and things, uh, but usually my iPhone is set to switch stuff off after about 30 seconds, you know, battery saving stuff. Right. But then when I'm filming something, the first thing I have to remember is to switch it on uh, to two, three minutes or never or something, or it's forever switching off before I've set the final control and stuff. So just be able to press one shortcut that may be put on do not disturb, switch display and brightness to never auto lock, and launched Filmic Pro. That is what I would have liked. And I can't uh, have it. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> that would be nice. That's a good feature. I had a number of things I was hoping for. I did get the shortcuts folders, so that was nice. Yeah. But uh, clipboard yeah. management, no word about that. Who knows if that'll ever come? Oh, uh, you know, I'd forgotten you said that. And that was, I thought you were absolutely right. I mean, I, I have a clipboard manager. I utterly love it, but I don't use them on iOS. Uh, I've got one on there, but it's, yeah, it's not the same as it would be if it was in the system. That is, oh, now I've got two things I wanted I didn't get. Right. Well, uh, oh. might, that might, list might increase because I still want one-time password support in iCloud keychain. So the ability to do the you know six-digit, 30-second changing passcode uh, for the two-factor authentication stuff. I would love to see that come to iCloud keychain. And the... Is that something? What I hear you making sounds over there. What does that? What does that mean? I yeah, I see your point, but no, that's not on my list. No, I'm all right with that. So without that, so okay, just two <laughs> things so far. What okay, else? Well, have you got? I know you don't care about Markdown support in Notes, so <laughs> no, yeah, that's a win for oh, you. I don't know a, if I'll ever get that. Okay, it's not a loss, shall we say? Let's put right. it at that. You know, and some of the other stuff we did not see that was rumored. There was no hardware announced at WWDC at all. You know, John Prosser was all talking about these different things that are going to be coming out and no hardware announced. The developer kit aside, which, you know, is not really publicly available hardware anyway. So no hardware and no AirTags. We did not hear about AirTags at all. That's a funny one because for me, I was going back and forth on that. Uh, There have been so many leaks about so many finished things. It seems that Apple could just pull the switch and release them any time. But because it's tying into Find My and we knew there were going to be updates to Find My in iOS 14, I was thinking, are they actually going to announce AirTags now and say in a few months' time they'll be better? Or will they hold them to iOS and the iPhones come out? Um, it seemed like it would be a kind of a negative to say, uh, here's a new feature that's going to be great in iOS 14, but you can already do it in 13. Except they actually did that, wasn't it, with the car key thing or something? Yes, the wireless car key is coming to iOS 13.6, I believe. Yeah, I'm willing to test that out if anybody would like to give me a, a card that it works <laughs> with. Um, they seem they're quite comfortable uh, talking about future features and going backwards with things as well. So maybe they could have said AirTags. But it, uh, yeah, it seems to me now clearly that will come along with the iPhone uh, 12 announcement. Yeah, and I imagine with how comfortable they are with just releasing stuff via press release now, that the AirTags might just come via press release. That's true. Could be a later summer thing, or it could come out with the iPhone. We'll see. But but I am curious about those. Uh, I would like to see those. And yeah, I don't think my 2011 Kia Soul is going to work with the Apple car key. No. So I too would need a new car to try that. Yes. Yeah. And you're willing, obviously. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just, just as you are willing to take my iPad, I'll take anybody's yes. uh, 2021 <laughs> BMW. Five series or whatever it is. Okay. You've got to send that to me now. We've said it so often. Oh, yes. Yeah, Come yeah. on. 
Well, uh, maybe I should send it to you bricked with the iOS 14 beta because that's how I spent yesterday with it. So let's talk about in the show with beta talk. For me, I tried developer betas early on in like iOS 6, 7, and 8 time. And I was foolish enough to put them on main devices. And I I forget what year it was, but it was really unusable. Uh, This was, er again, earlier on, iOS 7, 8, something like that. And I told myself, you know what? Never again on a main device. I need to stop doing this foolishness. Uh, Let me not do it. And so I spent many years not putting the betas on. And then they did the public beta stuff which was maybe two years ago, they started with, you have the developer betas and then the slightly more stable public betas. And this year, the public beta for iOS 14 will probably be coming mid-July. And I may have done that one year on my iPad or something, and it was fine. But I don't know, William, it's something that I don't like how my devices are then kind of like on the beta cycle. Yes. You know, I, I just, it's especially with main devices. And so I, I encourage people don't do it on your main device. At the very least, wait for the public betas. And even then, I would say, be very careful. You know, especially there are years when there's lots of iCloud changes, like the years with iCloud photo library being introduced and stuff. I definitely try to stay away from those because I I do not want my iCloud data messed with. You know, if I'm going to experience data loss, I don't want it to be my main iCloud photo library or my iCloud devices backups. And this is one of the reasons why Even if you have a secondary device to try a beta on, I would recommend also a secondary Apple ID to try with that device because it might be a secondary device, but if you use your primary Apple ID, it could mess with your iCloud data. And that's not something you want. That's such good advice. That would never have entered my head. I have multiple Apple IDs and usually I bemoan that as I didn't intend to end up with them. That's real. Oh, I'm having that. Thank you very much. Right. Yes. And so tell me, what has been your experience uh, with betas historically and, and what is your current practice? Right. I don't think we finished with your uh, horror story overnight of downgrading. So you're not getting out of that. But I will tell you, no, no, at no, some no. point, I, I'm, I think I've wiped it from my mind now, but there was one year when I didn't do the first betas. It was quite far down the line, but I completely and totally bricked my iPad, I think it was at the mm. time. A major job to get it back you know, working at all. I think I mean, it took me days to figure out how to get this thing working again. And I have been roundly mocked by every single person I know who knows that I have written articles saying, don't do this. And I, <laughs> they were right, frankly. So um, my intention this time around was absolutely not, I'm not going anywhere near any of it. But I did realize I had this spare phone it's not really spare, but I can make it spare enough. So I tried right. it, and I have actually realised I'm uh, I'm my Mac. I bought a Mac Mini with two smaller SSD, and it was all I could afford at the time. And now I'm running that Mac, but booting from an external drive. And it occurs to mm. me that I could put uh, Big Sur on the Mac Mini's own drive and just you know boot between the two and see what happens. But that might be foolish talk. What do you think? Uh, I mean, if it's spare and you really don't need it for anything. I mean, you can always get it back. You know, you could always downgrade, you know, install Catalina fresh and be okay. Yeah, again, nothing mission critical and not with your main Apple ID. No. Uh, that's, that's, been, that's been my experience. So I had my iPad. I, I told myself I'm not going to do the first developer beta. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I lasted all Monday. And then Tuesday morning, I put it on. Right. You know, because Apple makes it so easy now. You just download the profile from the developer website if you have a login. And your iPad does it over the air. 
you know, you don't even have to download something to your computer or connect it. So getting on the developer beta is just, it's too easy. Uh, that's that's my only, uh, <laughs> uh, not gripe, I know, because I'm sure developers appreciate it. But getting the beta on there is great. And then, you know, listen, it was stable, uh, pretty stable for a first developer beta. It was doing really well. Just some graphical user interface bugs, but but not, apps weren't crashing. I edited the uh, HomeKit Insider episode that aired on Wednesday with the on the beta, and it was fine. But then I get that itch, William, where I just I don't I don't like knowing I'm on the beta. That's just something. I just feel like something's gonna happen. And I was also I'm about to travel for a couple of weeks, and I didn't want to bring my Mac. I was just gonna bring my iPad Pro, and I said I I can't be traveling and have the beta on my device. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to downgrade. Here we go. Now the downgrade process is not as easy uh, as going onto the developer beta. So you have to go on the Apple developer portal. Again, you can download these recovery images on some third-party sites. Again, I, I would recommend as much as you can download directly from Apple's developer website. But I downloaded the release, the official release of, I think it's 13.5.1. And you have to restore your iPad to the previous to that image. So you have to connect it to your Mac. So I connected it to my 16 inch MacBook Pro, did the restore. I select the image. You hold the option key while you click restore in the finder and it would not load the image. It said I have to erase my iPad and do all this stuff. I said, okay, fine. I figured. And so I wiped it and it just would not accept the recovery image. I unplugged it. I plugged it back in a bunch of times. I tried doing the DFU mode which, you know, is like a series of incantations and button presses to get it into DFU mode uh, with volume and everything. And so I did that. And for some reason, my 16-inch MacBook with my iPad Pro, I could not get it to go to that restore image directly from Apple. I had the right year model and everything and to no avail. And nothing would do it. Uh, sometimes it would appear back with the iOS 14 beta and it seemed back to normal, but it would just would not downgrade. So I got home and tried the exact same process on my 2015 iMac and worked for a shot. It was fine, downgraded, no problem. Wow. So I have no idea, no explanation why my MacBook Pro could not do it and my five-year-old iMac could. They're both running the newest version of Catalina. I didn't know if for some reason I would have to put Big Sur in order to downgrade the iOS 14 device, but not the case. For whatever reason, my iMac worked just fine. I was able to downgrade, restored it to the latest iCloud backup, back to normal, iPads doing fine, but uh, just would not work on my 16-inch MacBook Pro on Catalina. I'm not sure what the deal was. But this is why, this is why kids don't run the betas if you don't need to. Except the moment <laughs> you said downgrade, I expected horror stories. And Frank, I mean, he wasn't exactly nice, but I expected enough of a horror story that I was willing to admit to you my foolishness of breaking my devices before. <laughs> I felt tricked. No, no. I mean, it was close. It was close to being bricked. I mean, the iPad just had the, like, you know, go to Apple support, apple.com slash support because your iPad is locked or it's in recovery mode or whatever and it wouldn't come out so i i fully assumed i was gonna have to find an open apple store before i left to travel and and have to uh you know bring it in but but somehow it worked and again it's one of those things where when something is not working and you find out the issue and then fix it you can at least feel good about it Mm. but i'm literally running the exact same catalina on my macbook pro my 2019 macbook pro and the exact same version on my 2015 iMac. And for some reason, it worked on the iMac and not the MacBook Pro. And so I have no idea why. And that is what's troubling. So, you know, if I didn't have my iMac, 
then I would definitely it would have been bricks for sure, and I would have to go to Apple Store. So at least wait okay. for the public betas, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, not on main devices. That is my recommendation. Actually, wouldn't you say the safest thing of all is to wait until Big Sur is the default uh, installation on new Macs and then buy yourself a new Mac? Mm, <laughs> I mean, is that not I just would, sensible? I would <laughs> say I would wait for the next Mac with Big Sur that runs Apple Silicon. Mm. Was thinking the other day, I think I bought my last Intel Mac and I didn't even know it. Oh yes, good grief, that's true. This 16 inch MacBook Pro, probably gonna be my last Intel Mac. And you know, for those of you who don't need a Mac anytime soon, you know, you're not in a rush to upgrade or for work, you don't need to upgrade, hold out, you know, see what happens when those first line of, of Macs come out. We don't know if it's gonna be a laptop or a desktop. We didn't see that redesigned iMac at WWDC, and so maybe that would be coming in the fall. But Apple did say that by the end of this year, we would see the first new Apple Silicon run Max, and they would be available for, for purchase. So wait and see. That's my advice on that. You know, that'll be December the 20th, though. They'll just squeak it in for pre-orders or something know. like that. Yeah, that's exactly what they did with the Mac Pro, the last two iterations, I believe. They announced it in June yeah. and available for pre-order like December 20-something. Hilarious. You know, they say yes. coming this fall and it's literally the last calendar day of fall and something will drop, yes. but, but they, they are not lying. So we can't, you know, yeah. hammer them too hard. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, we hope uh, you're enjoying these special WWDC episodes. Let us know what you think, what you're most excited about, what you wish you had gotten in WWDC iOS or macOS updates. You can tweet at William and I. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can also email us. That's all there. The link's in the show notes. You can check out the article when it goes up at appleinsider.com slash podcast. You can comment there as well as tweet at us. And you can see all the links that we talked about. There's lots of articles on appleinsider.com about all the WWDC news. Check out those links in show notes. And also, Andrew's been doing a great job on videos this week. He's got videos on, on iOS, iPadOS, macOS, the watchOS 7 changes, even a CarPlay video, which that's not even something I can do. I don't have CarPlay in, in any vehicle that I own. So check out his video on all the CarPlay changes. And if you have not yet, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate that support. It'll help us climb the ranks there and be discovered by more people looking for great Apple news. And if you missed the keynote or have not heard all the details, check out that WWDC special episode, the last episode in the feed for all the highlights there. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>